This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is November 23rd, 2019. On this day in 1953, Air Force pilot Felix Moncla Jr. and his radar observer Robert L. Wilson disappeared on a routine mission over Lake Superior. Officially, their goal was to intercept a wayward Canadian Royal Air Force plane, but some members of the UFO community doubted the Air Force's claims. Some thought it was a government cover-up. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today, we're covering the mysterious disappearance of an F-89C fighter jet piloted by First Lieutenant Felix Moncla Jr. and his radar observer, Second Lieutenant Robert L. Wilson. And according to some theories, Today's crime is the government lying about it to the American people. Let's go back to November 23, 1953, a little after 6 p.m. It was a quiet evening at Michigan's Kinross Air Force Base. Thanksgiving was in a few days, and the radar technicians were probably already daydreaming of a turkey dinner and a long weekend. But the relaxed atmosphere was broken by a sudden radar ping. There was an unidentified object on their monitors, and it was coming from the restricted airspace over the Sioux Locks, 160 miles to the northeast. This barrier between Lake Superior and the lower Great Lakes was a vital piece of infrastructure. The locks allowed ships to travel all the way from Duluth, Minnesota to the Atlantic Ocean via the St. Lawrence Seaway any potential threat to it had to be taken seriously. A fighter jet was immediately scrambled to intercept the unknown object. Even though it was probably a false alarm, the Air Force labeled the intercept as an active air defense mission. The pilot chosen for the task was 27-year-old First Lieutenant Felix Moncla, Jr., a veteran flyer who had logged over 811 flight hours. His radar observer would be 22-year-old Second Lieutenant Robert L. Wilson. Shortly after 6 p.m., Moncla and Wilson climbed into the F-89C's cockpit. Because of its distinctive raised tail, the fighter was nicknamed the Scorpion. Introduced only three years earlier, it was a top-of-the-line aircraft specifically designed to intercept hostile vessels, capable of speeds up to 636 miles per hour. Moncla would intercept the unidentified object in less than 30 minutes. At 6.22, Moncla and Wilson took off into the cold November evening. Despite some scattered snow flurries, 
the forecast predicted there would be little to no turbulence. Moncla nosed the plane up through some low cloud cover and leveled off at 30,000 feet. After flying at this altitude for 25 minutes, ground control instructed Moncla to descend to 7,000 feet to begin the interception. Back at Kinross Air Force Base, Mission Control watched as the icon for Moncla's plane slowly approached the unidentified object as it traveled from east to west. The F-89 was on a trajectory to intercept it shortly after 6.51 p.m. At the anticipated time, the F-89's icon merged with the targets. Mission complete, or so it seemed. But just a moment later, the bogey's icon continued on its original east-to-west flight path, and the F-89C's icon was nowhere to be seen. Mission Control couldn't make heads or tails of the situation. Surely there must have been some sort of malfunction on their end, but their equipment seemed to be working fine. The officer in charge grabbed a headset and radioed Moncla. No response. As the officer frantically tried to contact the wayward F-89C, the rest of the room fell into an uneasy silence. After several minutes, there was still no word from Moncla. The plane had disappeared without a trace. Coming up, people question the Air Force's official explanation for the missing Air Force officers. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. At 6.51 p.m. on November 23, 1953, an F-89C fighter jet piloted by First Lieutenant Felix Moncla Jr. disappeared. What should have been a routine intercept was suddenly a frenzied rescue operation to find Moncla and his radar observer, Robert L. Wilson. Search planes were immediately dispatched. For hours, personnel from the U.S. Air Force and its Canadian counterpart scoured the area where Moncla's plane disappeared. There was no trace of the plane or the two men inside it. An initial report was filed that night, with the full document completed over seven months later on July 2, 1954. Although Moncla's plane was filed as missing, the assumption was that it had crashed on Lake Superior. According to the report, the object Moncla had gone to intercept was a wayward Royal Canadian Air Force plane, this explanation didn't raise many eyebrows. It wasn't uncommon for RCAF planes to drift into American airspace. But even though there were records of a flight passing near the border that night, not everyone bought what the Air Force was selling. When news of the missing plane was released, many UFO investigators believed there was more to the story than the government was letting on. 
They suspected the report might be a cover-up operation. Moncler and Owen's disappearance came at the height of the UFO craze. This flurry of UFO sightings officially kicked off six years earlier, in the summer of 1947. That was when amateur pilot Kenneth Arnold spotted nine mysterious objects flying over Mount Rainier. He said the glowing blue-white objects flew like a saucer if you skip it across water. This description gave birth to the term flying saucer. Even though Arnold didn't say anything about the objects looking like saucers, reports of disc-shaped aircraft started flooding into newspapers and government agencies alike. Six years later, Moncla and Owen's disappearance set off alarm bells within the rapidly growing UFO community. It just didn't make sense to them that Moncla's plane would disappear so suddenly. If the F-89 had exploded from a collision with the RCAF plane, then surely the other aircraft would have been destroyed as well. But it had kept flying as if nothing had happened. In fact, the Canadian plane's crew claimed they never even saw the F-89. The official explanation that the plane had probably crashed into Lake Superior didn't make any sense either. If it had, there would have surely been more radio contact with Moncla or Owens. There had to be more to the story. In December 1953, former U.S. Marine turned ufologist Donald Kehoe decided to do a little more digging. But even with his military connections, he wasn't able to get anything other than the official version of the story. After Kehoe's unsuccessful investigation, interest in Moncla and Owen's disappearance waned within the UFO community. There wasn't any point in trying to knock down a door that wouldn't budge. But 15 years later, a new development reignited interest in the case. On October 30, 1968, the Sioux Daily Star reported that wreckage from the tail section of an airplane had washed up on the shores of Lake Superior. Due to the weight of the part, it likely came from a jet fighter. While a follow-up article squashed the possibility that it was wreckage from the missing F-89C, the discovery renewed the UFO community's obsession with the strange event. In 1961, a member of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, or NICAP, wrote to the Canadian Air Force. He wanted to verify that Moncla's plane was indeed sent to intercept an RCAF plane. However, the Canadian authorities had no report of an incident involving an RCAF aircraft in the Lake Superior area on November 23, 1953. Although the RCAF acknowledged that there was a plane flying near the border at the time, it denied that the flight had ever crossed into American airspace. There could be a simple explanation for this denial. Perhaps the radar ping the plane intercepted was a phenomenon known as radar reflection, in which an object's radar signal bounces off atmospheric disturbances. Or, perhaps, the F-89 had an encounter with an extraterrestrial vessel, and the American government wanted to cover it up. 
Unless we find definitive evidence that the F-89C crashed, we may never know what happened that fateful November evening. What we do know is that two men were killed or kidnapped, and their families will never know for sure what happened. The wreckage is likely resting at the bottom of Lake Superior, but there's a chance it's no longer even on the planet. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Alex Benedon. I'm Vanessa Richardson.